Hey, welcome to our Public Church podcast. We hope this message blesses you today. For more information on Public Church, please see us on www.public.church. Well, this, my sermon title this afternoon is How to Move People. Not how to manipulate people, not how to pressure people, not how to control people, but how, how to move people, deeply move them in their heart and to have an influence and to have an effect and to have a, a positive impact in their heart towards Jesus. You know, um, influence is a great word and um, a lot of leaders have a lot of um, different meanings around what it is. But the Oxford and the Cambridge Dictionary put it down to this, that influence is the capacity to have an effect on the character, the development or the behaviour of someone or something, or also the power to have an effect on a person, people or things. People and persons are the same thing. And I just guess we, we, we know that we're all called by God, to have an influence and an impact. You, you can have a break, Lockie. Yeah. Can we give it up for Lockie? The power to influence and to move people is, is actually what God has called us to do. He said that, um, I heard a leader recently put it like this. If you had three years to change the planet to change the course of history, the course of history, to change the tra- trajectory of mankind, what would you do? Well, Jesus did it very clearly. He grabbed 12 disciples and he moved them and he influenced them and he spent time with them and um, spending those three years together, then he, of course, he was died and was resurrected again. And But at the end of that, what was the total amount of impact of him being able to move those 12 disciples and to influence those 12 disciples was that we sit here today, 2,000 years later at the bottom of the world in Australia, worshipping Jesus who impacted the lives and moved the lives of 12 people. Jesus said very clearly that he wanted us to go out and to make disciples and throughout all the earth, baptised in the name of the Father, Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to have a look at an incredibly impacting story this afternoon about this woman who had this random encounter with Jesus and whose life was changed. But not only was her life changed, but many, many people's lives were changed. If we could put up John chapter 4, verse 7. Then a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone off into the city to go and buy food. And the Samaritan woman asked him and said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Now let's just pause there for a little bit. The the Samaritans were a group of people that were beneath the Jews and they didn't associate themselves with each other, they were a lower class, and it wasn't it wasn't good for Jewish people to be seen with Samaritans, and so we see that Samaritans were actually made up of Jews, 
700 years before Christ, when they were in um, Assyrian captivity, and obviously they, they came together, and therefore the Jews and the Assyrians, they started the Samaritans. And so we see here that Jesus is requesting this woman to go and draw water. And we see the story to continue to unfold where he says, for Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew about God's gift of eternal life and who it is who says, um, give, give me a drink, you would have asked instead and he would have given you living water. That is eternal life. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with no bucket and rope, and this well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and who used it for himself, for his sons and his cattle also? And then Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But listen to this. But whoever drinks the water that I... Give him will never be thirsty again, but the water that I give him will become will become in him a spring of water that is satisfying his thirst for God and will well up continually flowing, bubbling within him to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not get thirsty nor shall continually come all the way here to draw. And then Jesus said, Go call your husband. Now, this is where the story changes gears, where it's all been about the water going back and forth. We're going to unpack that and explain it in just a moment. But then the story hits a little bit of a handbrake, and the woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said that you've said this correctly. I do not have a husband for you have you do not have a husband for you have five husbands and the man you are now living with is not your husband you have said this truthfully so here we're seeing this incredible passage unfold where we're seeing Jesus has rolled in to Jacob's well he sees that there's this woman he engages her in conversation he engages her at a level of her immediate need she obviously, he is obviously aware that she needs some water. But Jesus is looking beyond. He doesn't want to just deal with stuff on the surface. He actually wants to impact and influence this woman for the glory of God. He actually, not just going through life and just making sure that he's having his drink and keeping his own, but what he's realizing is there's an opportunity to influence and to move this woman's heart in a direction through the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. See, we see here that we're not just reading a story where Jesus is judging where he's pointing out his finger. She's not offended by the question that has been asked. She's actually humbled. There's a brokenness within her. There's actually a, a sense of openness and vulnerability where she actually agrees with all that Jesus said when he said, your husband is not here. He's, that she's been with five other husbands. And on top of that, we see here that she's actually living in a relationship that's not appropriate at that time with a, another married man. And so we see this dichotomy, this this. 
this conjuncture. We, we see this, this, um, this moment where Jesus is dealing with something deep within the heart, within this woman. See, we don't know the backstory about why has she had so many husbands. We don't see or understand the backstory of what's going on. There's a brokenness within her life that these relationships keep deteriorating and breaking down. We don't understand fully or comprehend the guilt or the shame that she would be associated with. And there this Jewish man, this man Jesus, he looked into her heart. He looked beyond her initial need. He looked down deep inside to understand what was going on really in this woman's life. You know, I'm just so challenged by this passage because we can so quickly move through life in a rush, looking at our, at our screens or looking at, at every other thing and looking at people's immediate needs. But if we just stop and pause and have a greater look and just look into people's eyes and get a picture or an understanding on, you know, what, what's making people tick? What's making people um, the way they are? Why are they responding? Why are they reacting? Why are they behaving the way that they're behaving right now? Because you know what? When we look with the eyes of Jesus, we see that there's incredible opportunities that afford us that we can actually move people with the grace and the love and the kindness and the peace of God. This was not an aggressive confrontation. This was not, you're doing the wrong thing. This is not a, a, a name and shame. This obviously, she, this woman, this Samaritan could feel the sincerity, the love and the care and the understanding and the holiness and the presence of Almighty God. She felt in such a way that she was feeling safe. You say, well, how, how do we know that she felt safe? How do we know that she felt loved? How do we know that she felt compassion? How do we know that she felt care? How do we know that healing was right around the corner? How do we know that something was going on where her heart was being moved so powerfully? Let's just pick the passage up here in verse 28. Then the woman left her water jar and went into the city and began telling the people, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. Can, can this be the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One? So the people left the city and they were coming to him. They were moved. She was moved. So she, in, 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 in turn, because her heart was so moved by this encounter with Jesus, that she raced back to the cities saying to all of her friends and all of her family, I had an encounter with this man. He saw right through me. There was love. There was empathy. There was care. There was understanding. There wasn't judgment, condemnation. There wasn't any hatred coming out. There was something that was coming out of him as he spoke that resonated deep within my heart, deep within my soul. You've got to come and hear what this man has to say. Turn to the person next to you and say, you've got to hear what this man has to say. Give someone a high five. You guys are quiet. There we go. Touch somebody. There we go. High fives all around. Don't get, don't get cinema couch comfy on me this afternoon. So we see that Jesus 
is having this incredible impact upon this Samaritan woman. Well, this is when I look at how Jesus moved this woman towards salvation, moved this woman towards ownership, moved this woman towards realization that she needed something greater than what she was actually had at her point in life. There's three things that I really believe that we can draw from this passage to help us understand on how on earth God would want to use us, you and me, to move people closer into a direction, closer towards a journey, closer down the track, closer down the path to a relationship with Jesus Christ. My first point today is that we actually need to say something. Turn to the person next to you and say, say something. Start a conversation. Oh, and you can say that too, Brian. Thank you. Engage with people. Communicate. Put your phone in your pocket on the bus or on the train, those who are travelling on public transport, and look someone in the eye and engage someone in a conversation. I always have the choice. Do I put my ear pods in or my noise-cancelling headphones when I jump on a plane? I just want a couple of hours of respite. My three kids are at me all the time and my wife... No, I'm just joking. I want couple of hours of break, but you know what? That, that's me going back into my... There's an opportunity. I don't know how many conversations I've had around faith with people that have been impacting and that have engaged people's hearts and I've moved the needle. See, this is the thing, is that we feel like unless we're, we're getting someone over the line right there and then and on the aeroplane or in the car or on the bus or at the cafe or wherever you're having a potential conversation with someone that you know that there's something going on within their world and they need to be moved, we feel this incredible responsibility that we have to chalk up another stat for someone that's going to give their lives to Jesus so that, you know what, our job is not to get people over the line into a church doing the sinner's prayer, coming down the front on their knees, weeping before the Lord in deep repentance. And that's the holy grail of us sharing our faith. This is the thing is that, that we all have an opportunity to have an influence and an impact and to move someone closer. So it might be start with, with your conversation and then they go and bump into someone else and then there's another conversation and then they listen to a new Kanye West song on the radio that's getting pounded this week by someone and then all of a sudden, because God's done something in Kanye West of late, then he's influencing a whole lot of other people that have had a whole lot of other conversations. And before you know it, see, this is the thing, is that some water and some sow and others reap the harvest. It's not for us to determine whether we're just going to be the reapers or whether we're going to be the sowers. We need to be ready, game on, in season and out of season, ready to sow at times and ready to reap at times. Because you know what? In my Youth Alive role, it works really well because I put on these big events and everyone comes and they're primed and they're ready and we've gone into schools and 
Kids have had conversations with their friends and begged them to come along. We get up there and preach the Word of God and an evangelistic event like a Youth Alive rally. And right there and then we can say, woohoo, 3,000 kids across Australia on one night came down the front to give their lives to Jesus. But you know what? Let's look behind the background of all the conversations, of all the handing out cards and notifying people of what's going on, all the parents saying, you know what, if you want to live under my house, you better go to that Youth Alive event tonight as you're not going to be, ever be welcome back here in the home again. God will use anything. And so this is the thing, is that simply Jesus engaged with a conversation and he actually said something. So this is the thing, is that when we say something, let's not be freaky. Let's not speak in Christianese. Let's speak in language that's relevant, that's real, that is actually having an impact that is not another language that other people that don't understand church um, communities can't resonate with. And you know what? You're not going to get that right every single time. But I say this to a lot of communicators that ask me about when they're going to go and speak to young people. They're like, give me some tips, Pastor Cam, on how to speak to young people. You know, should I I talk about the latest thing here and the latest shoe there and the latest song there? And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter what shoes you wear. It doesn't matter what haircut you have. If you try to be over the top in trying to relate to young people, they won't feel that it's authentic and it's not genuine and it won't resonate. You know what the funny thing is? That's public speaking right across the board to every age group. It's just being yourself. That's not just public speaking, church. That's having a conversation one-on-one. When you open up, do they feel empathy? Do they feel like you really care? Do they feel like you're just doing an obligation because you're a Christian and the pastor preached this week that you should share your faith and engage them? Do you genuinely want to see that that person move closer to Jesus? So are you real? Are you authentic? You know, someone said recently, and it's not the most uplifting thing in church life, it's in business they talk about it, they go, the greatest thing to actually skill to master is to actually be able to fake authenticity incredibly well. You think about that. I don't want to fake authenticity. People can smell it. People can taste it. People can just get a whiff of it. It's like, you know what? If someone's real and they're the real article, you don't have to say the right words. You don't have to get it right every single time. They'll know that you're genuine and that you care and you're communicating and, and, and allowing people to get a sense of God's heart for them by the way you communicate with them. So authentic care, love, compassion, honesty, and also... Let's not dumb down the good news of Jesus. Remember, it's good news. It's not ordinary news. It's good news. And if Jesus has saved you, if Jesus is calling you, if Jesus is leading you, if Jesus has put you in a healthy church community, that's something not just to sort of dumb down. That's something to actually talk up. That's not being faith. That's not being fake. That's not being disingenuous. That's actually being excited about the things that God is excited about. Some of you are so excited. 
You need to tell your faces about it. When people leave being with you, how do they feel? Are they stirred? Are they lifted? Are they excited? And you know what? I heard a great quote once. Everything about you says something about you. Everything about you says something about you. And so it doesn't mean that we, if we're having a bad day that we, 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 we have to put on a smile and, and, and just portray something that's not really going on. But you know what? The Word of God does say that we should be able to be prepared to give a word in and out of season. So we should be prepared to like, you know what? If there's an opportunity, we can pull it together emotionally and have a healthy conversation. Turn to the person next to you and say, say something. Number two, do something. A great AFL football coach, the great code that will be playing in heaven, not like this other World cup thing that's going on at the moment. Let's pray for South Africa. Who's going for South Africa now that Australia's out? Who's going for England? Who doesn't care? Oh, oh okay. All right. Have the All Blacks. That was, we won't talk about that. Let's pray right now for all of our Kiwi brothers and sisters. So we see that this football coach, he came out at halftime with his grand final. And it's one of the most famous, um, famous speeches of all time. He's going around to the, to the young players and he's looking them in the eyes and what are you doing? You think you're doing something, but you're not doing something. And he's like, you think you're doing this, but you're not doing that. You're not playing together. He goes, don't think, do. Don't think, do something. Do something. Do something. And he just kept repeating it. Don't think, just do. And what he was saying is that, that inside you've got all the training. Inside you've had all the practice. Inside we've had all the conversations around the game plan. Everything, but you're thinking about it too much and you're trying to get it right. That you're overthinking about it. So he's saying is don't think, just, just go on gut, just go on impulse, just go on what's inside and do something. And I think sometimes when it comes to sharing our faith, I don't believe that it's not through a lack of empathy or a lack of care for other human beings. I think we're, we live in an incredible society where, where the care of other people is at an all-time high, where there's a consciousness about other people's belief systems and other people's um, differences and, 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 and other people that are going through different issues, all this categorising of subgroups and everything like that. We, we actually are aware of people and where they're at more than ever since I've been around. And I just think that, you know what, we just need to move towards people and just start having a conversation and just do something. You know, um, I, I just, I, I want to I articulate this really well. Um, you do hear me go on every now and then, so just afford me this grace one more time and then I'll, I won't talk about it for a bit. But this, this event, United We Stand, that we just recently held, that had 30,000 young people at it and 3,500 made a decision for Jesus Christ, it, 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 it's, it's a big deal in, in, the, in the scope of what God's doing in young people in Australia right now. It's amazing when, when churches are going their separate ways that God would still glue people together around his purposes and his cause. 
when I talk to other friends from other countries that are in national roles like mine, they just, they're bamboozled to think that, that God's actually doing something and drawing young hearts together to do something so beautiful to see so many kids give their lives to Jesus. And this is the thing, is that you'd go, well, you know what? That's, that's pretty cool how God spoke to you about doing that, Cameron. Well, t- tell me about, tell me about how, how that might have happened. Well, I would probably, if asked that question and have, I would say I was at a Hillsong Vision Sunday about five years ago and Pastor Brian Houston jumped up and he began to talk about pioneering again. And as he got up there and said pioneer again, it was like liquid fire, like energy just went into my heart saying, you know what, you've got to revolutionise the way you're doing Youth Alive. You've got to pioneer again. You've got to go back to the roots of what it started for. You've got to regionalise it. You've got to bring it down to the youth pastors and the young people and the kids in the high schools. And so from that, that one encounter right there with Pastor Brian Houston saying pioneer again, it was like, you know what, that's clear. I know what I've got to do. But if I was to just stop right there, you wouldn't fully get the full picture because you know what? Before that, as a young 22-year-old that sent me into full-time ministry was a message by a man called Pastor Tommy Barnett, who is an incredible man of God. He's in Los Angeles and he's, he's created this incredible church called the Dream Center, and it's having such an incredible impact in LA and in other cities right now. And Pastor Tommy, I remember I was, a, I was the security guy, and I was in the balcony making sure that no teenagers would throw anything off the balcony or throw anything down or maybe jump in an excitable moment at this conference that I was at. And so there I am, I'm on security I'm trying to flex out my biceps and look really strong and really tough. So all the young people, like, don't mess with me. I'll sort you out. And Pastor Tommy Barnett, I literally remember it like it was yesterday. He read a story. He just kept flipping the page as he, as he just kept reading this sermon. It was like he was reading a story. He didn't deviate from it. He said every word as it was written. At the time, he was 65 years of age at a youth conference in Adelaide. And as he began to preach, he goes, you are called for such a time as this. And he was talking about Ruth. And he was like, you you are called for such a time as this. And every time he said, you are called for such a time as this, it was like, man, I know, God, you've called me to influence the nations. I know, God, you've called me to do something great for you. I know. See, this is the thing. If I was to end the story right there... You'd go, that's pretty cool. There's these key moments of platforms and preachers where God spoke to you and now you're doing it. It's so cool. But hang on a sec. Let's, let's look a little bit further backwards here where we see here that, that there was this friend that challenged me that, you know what, if we're to see a move of God amongst young people in Australia, we've got to pray. And he walked straight up to me. He goes, how many hours a day do you pray? And I'm like, I've never prayed an hour in my life. He says, well, you know what? We're going to get three of your other friends and we're going to go up to the Adelaide Hills in South Australia. And we're going to go up on the mountains and we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to give us the city and this nation and the nations of the world. Come on, we're going to pray. And I walked up there and I learned how to pray for many hours on end right there. And then this is this one person, this one person, he influenced me. But you know what? While I was up there, I was listening to another Youth Alive album that was like literally from the 90s where a young man by the name of David Evans wrote a song that actually caught a fire within my heart. 
You see where I'm going here that, you know what, we see the big stage and we see the big church and we see this and we think it all happens here. But the power of God doing something profound and God doing something incredible is that we've all got to sow and some people reap. We've all got to sow and sowing doesn't always look like getting up and having a sermon or running a living room or running youth ministry on a Friday night. Sowing means one-on-one encounters. This friend that taught me to pray, the reason he had an ability and a relationship with me strong enough that we could pray together was because, you know what, when I was brand new and I came back from a a time away from God as an 18, 19-year-old, this young man walked straight up to me. He looked me in the eyes with such confidence and such certainty that I'd never met anyone like this before. He put out his hand... And he sh- to shake it, and he goes, I know who you are. You're Cameron Bennett. You drive the Mazda RX-4 Rotary. Some of you have got no idea what that is. It's a little buzz box. And it's a car that is quite unique, and it's got its own band of followers back then, and even to some degree now. It's like the dead opposite of people who love V8s. And this Darren was his name. He had a Mazda RX-7, a very similar car. And we've been driving in and out of the car park for a few weeks, but he finally came up and had a conversation. And from then, we became friends and have gone on in leadership. See, this is the thing. We see the, the 30,000, the, the 3,500 people coming down the, to give their lives to Jesus. But you know what? These people had no idea the influence and the impact that they were having I might not have stayed in the church if I didn't meet a Darren. I might not have learned how to pray if he didn't introduce me to his friends that we could go and pray. You know, then we talk about my mum and dad where they were praying when I was backslidden away. Well, you know what? They were doing their part in, in influencing and moving, moving the hand of God in my life. Lockie, if you can come up now, that would be cool. And we see here that we go on and on and on again from praying parents to a youth pastor that mentored me through, through some difficult times in my life that taught me everything around ministry, that spent time from playing golf to late night pizza sessions with me crying, going, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, I'm going to give up. One-on-one conversations, moving people's hearts, influencing. This is the incredible thing is that, you know, what a lot of the examples that I've given here are people who have gone on in Christian leadership. But you know what? One of the most profound moments is when my mum, with three young kids, a husband who started his business, is away from home, working hard, trying to put a roof over this brand new young family in the northeastern suburbs of, of Adelaide. Mum's still searching on, this is good, I love having a family and a husband and we're doing things. But there's still an emptiness within her soul. So she responds one day at a church service and goes down the front and gives her life to Jesus. That had a profound influence on dad and then of course the rest of us. But you know what? That's all cool because mum went on in, in Sunday school and we got taught the Word of God as as, as young children and, and got taught to serve in the house of God. And that all was great traction and built great um, values and, and different things into, into our hearts and into our lives. But you know what? 
There's one lady no one will ever know about other than me just saying this right now. Is our next door neighbour, Chris Pittman. She went along to a church service and got blown away that there were so many people that loved Jesus. People were worshipping and they were lifting up their hands and she said it was freaky as. She didn't know what was going on, but there was something that was real. There was something genuine. Geraldine, you've got to come. See, Chris Pittman was like the Samaritan woman at the well. She was lost, struggling marriage, young family also, just trying to make ends meet in the fast-growing northern suburbs of Adelaide. Smoking like chimneys. Not sure what life had for them. But she went along to a service and met Jesus. She didn't just get her, her, her social needs met. She had her spiritual needs met. She went down the front and gave her life to Jesus. Did that church need to tell Chris Pittman, you need to go back now and we're going to give you some cards on your seat and you can go and invite people and it's going to be a good thing because we're Christians now and we go out and we win people to the lost. We didn't have to tell Chris anything. Well, I didn't because I was about three years of age at the time. But you know what I mean. Chris came racing home. You wouldn't believe where I was last night. I was in church. Come along. See, this is the incredible thing. As we look at the last passage of Scripture that I've put up there. Verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that city believed in Him. And they trusted Him as Saviour because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked Him to remain with them. And He stayed there for two days. Many more believed in him with a deep abiding trust because of the word, of his word, his personal message to them. And they told the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. For now we have heard him for ourselves and now with confidence and assurance that this one is truly the saviour of the world. How powerful. You know what I love about this woman, the Samaritan? Is that she didn't have to go to Bible college or do the Youth Alive Academy. She wasn't trained in theology and doctrine. She literally had an encounter with Jesus. And she rushed back. You want to believe this man, he ministered to me. Something deeper was going on. It wasn't just someone else just saying some other words. There was something real. There was something genuine. Something changed when He spoke to me. I've never felt so much love. I've never felt so much care. I've never felt so much empathy. I've never felt so much truth, but wrapped in love. See, for me, when I had my encounter with Jesus... Man, I, I was a wreck in all sorts of trouble. So far gone, so far lost. And when I had my encounter with Jesus, all of the stuff, all of the sin. So what's sin? Such a big word. 
Sin is all the stuff that we've messed up, made mistakes, we've fallen short of what God's standard is for living. All the above. And we see it there and I'm confronted with it and it's right there before me and I could see that, you know what? If I keep going down this path, it's going down towards destruction. So within love, within care, grace and compassion, I felt Jesus say, you know what? I can take that from you. You don't have to carry that anymore. I've paid the ultimate price so you don't have to wear the full sting and the full weight of that any longer. And I got out of the car. We stopped first. <laughs> we pulled the car over and I got out as an 18-year-old and I got down on the, on the dirt and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. You know what? I didn't go to Bible college the next day. You know what? I didn't end up, I didn't end up um, becoming a pastor the next day. I simply, with what God did in my heart and the simple knowledge and understanding that I had, I just shared my faith. See, as I said there before, some sow and others reap. You know, there's this incredible phenomenon. I do this in closing, called the super bloom. If you've ever seen it, it's so vivid, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. In a desert where these seeds that they germinate and they go deep down in and they, they sit there in the hot desert sun, sometimes up to like years waiting for a rain to come. And then all of a sudden, not just any rain that doesn't seep down and go low enough to actually touch the seed and fuel it, fire it up and germinate it, but the actual rains, when a heavy rain comes to such a degree, all of these these, these seeds that have been lying dormant in the sand and in the wilderness and in the desert, all of a sudden this rain comes and the next day when the sun starts sparking up, you wouldn't believe that all these seeds have just bloomed and come through all these incredibly vivid colours and the beauty and the wonder of that thing is a sight to behold. Our job, our job as public church is, you know what? as followers of Christ, is that we just keep sowing seeds, family. We just keep sowing seeds. We just keep saying something. We just keep doing something. Some of you right here are the next Chris Pittmans, where you're going to lead your next door neighbour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? They're going to have kids and maybe one of them might go on and change the world for Jesus. What are the other stories that aren't even in our psyche or we don't even have a context for? Because you know what? We're just going to step out. We're just going to say something and we're just going to do something.